Hello, everyone, and welcome along to another Tune Under podcast, the Southern Hemisphere's original Newcastle United podcast. Uh, I'm Mark, and joining me tonight is Keegan and Craig. Uh, this is our second run through because uh, we had a bit of a false start with the lack of record button being pressed. Uh, it's been a long day at work, so forgive me. Um, and joining us tonight is Andy Sixsmith. Um, he's a uh, Got a pretty impressive resume kicking things off. BBC Sport, Five Live, Final Score, uh, Premier League Today, um, has, has commentated on the T20 cricket, does a bit of rugby as well. Um, so thank you very much for joining us, Andy, and uh, welcome along to the podcast. No worries. Thank you for having me, boys. I must point out straight away that uh, it's normally me who's screwing things up technically. So uh, I'm delighted that someone else has taken up the baton tonight. Really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, any, anything just to make you feel welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it made me feel right at home seeing a technical screw. <laughs> And uh, as, as we discussed on the, uh, the first aborted attempt, uh, I'd like to actually say thank you to Lee uh, of the podcast, who's been working his ass off to get that new intro uh, up and running, which I think he's done a fantastic job on. Um, and obviously, thank you to Kieran Bow as well for continuing to let us use his music for the, for the podcast. We need to ask Lee as well, did he model that graphic of the player kicking the ball on Alan Shearer in 1996-97 when Alan had hair, obviously? <laughs> Way back when. Way back when. <laughs> we're starting to lose so uh, it's it's uh, you were saying before it's a little bit toasty over in the UK and you've been having your head put into some uh, freezer aisles of supermarkets. Listen, mate, I, I'm not that person who speaks to three Aussies and say that uh, you know it's been ridiculously warm over here, but it's been ridiculously warm over here. Thirty-eight <laughs> degrees. Like I, I'm all for a bit of heat and a bit of you know a little bit of sunshine, but. Newcastle's not a city that's prepared for 38 degrees. No. Our team escaped out to Austria and it was cooler over there. They were fine. They were all right. We were left behind to fend for ourselves. But uh, yeah, <laughs> luckily I've got an Asda nearby and luckily it's got a lot of fish fingers and frozen peas. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, my freezer's fully stocked. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, so uh, we might as well kick things off a bit. Um, so one of the first things, obviously, for me, uh, just to kind of get a feel about sort of how did you get started in sports journalism? And I guess, like, just tell us a bit about yourself, how you got into this. And um, was it your first choice of a career? So, right, how long is this podcast? An hour? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to ask me about anything to do with Newcastle United or football, <laughs> did you? This is going to take a while. So, basically, every time I tell anyone how I got into this industry, everyone's story is completely different. That's what I love about broadcasting. And my story is weird. So, I was actually, you know, I played a lot of sport when I was a kid, but I was a swimmer originally, like, I swam at a quite high level. I uh, got an injury, uh, didn't continue it on and realised I just wasn't good enough, to be honest, to make it to that very, very highest level. Uh, so I wanted always to do like something around sport in my career. Um, so I followed my brother into university and did a law degree, um, which was the, the the strangest choice I think I'd ever made, basically because I was a bit of a sheep back then. I'm delighted I've changed since then. Uh, so I did law for four years. Uh, and well, I said did law. <laughs> very loosely uh, attended lectures and seminars and, and everything like that for four years and just had a really, really good time at uni and then decided, you know what, I need to actually knuckle down and forge a career for myself. And I was 21, 22. I thought, you know what, I've always wanted to do it. I, I, ever since the age of like three, four, when I used to play with like old Sabutio figures on the floor of my bedroom and like commentate on them and everything, 
I mean, you know, that was only last week as well, but we were a bit bored. <laughs> in um, but I was doing that from a really young age. I always kind of want to talk. I've always been quite, you know, talkative sort of character, as you guys are unfortunately going to find out in the next 55 and a half minutes. Um, but from my perspective, I always wanted to go into like TV and radio. So she took the plunge, went and did a master's, uh, got very, very lucky coming out the back of that. Did a lot with our local rugby union club, hosted their kind of online TV channel. Uh, worked for an agency for a little bit just to kind of get my foot in the door, which was interesting to say the least. Uh, really, really good experiences there. Then just got into local television, did all their sport and a bit of news and went freelance five years ago um, and was very, very fortunate to be picked up by uh, Premier League Productions, who have been absolutely brilliant with me for uh, for five years or so. I'll just give them a shout out straight away just so I can keep them sweet. Uh, but they've been tremendous, like been covering Newcastle United um, and the Northern Clubs for, for five years now. Uh, with Premier League, BBC have been involved now for three or four years uh, with Final Score, like you pointed out before, and, and Five Live and Football Focus, which for someone growing up watching The Beeb and watching Grandstand with like Des Lynham and people like that is like, you know, ridiculous. It's still one of those things I feel like I'm kind of, you know, you've heard of imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. Imposter syndrome is really high with me every single time I appear. <laughs> alongside you know real luminaries of, of the sports broadcasting industry i kind of have to pinch myself and think i'm sure they meant to book someone else but you know what i'm going to keep stum keep quiet and just keep doing what i do yeah, and, uh, yeah get along with it so covering football is brilliant but i do a lot of rugby league like you pointed out before horse the cricket in the summer uh which which is always tremendous fun as well up at Derrick. Uh, and the team over there, they're, they're cracking fun. So, yeah, it's nice and nice and varied. Rugby union, rugby league, cricket, football, whatever sport anyone chucks at me, I'm always quite happy to uh, to host or broadcast or, or do whatever on. But, uh, yeah, it's not, not a bad life, put it that way. I'm, I'm yeah, very no, that sounds fantastic. Uh, I, guess, I guess that leads into my, my other follow-up question for you, which was, what what are your like biggest sports personalities you've met um and sort of why do they stand out to you personally okay so th there's kind of two elements to this i don't know whether you could i mean you, you will be able to see into my uh, strange old flat behind and i have a very very unhealthy obsession with collecting sports memorabilia signed sports memorabilia as well so my all-time idol was Muhammad ali uh, it is, was, whatever. Never, ever got to meet him, unfortunately, but absolutely loved him. In terms of interviews, in terms of sports personalities, I've met three probably stand out. Mo Farah, because we did an interview with him on the River Tyne. So my favourite city in the world, one of my favourite athletes in the world. Um, it's very limited for me to say Newcastle, my favourite city in the world, isn't it, when I've visited a, a, even a quarter of the cities in the world. Uh, but we did this interview ahead of a great North run on the time on this boat, uh, which was just amazing. He just won the Olympics in 2016 wow. uh, and was coming back to do the great North run. So that would have gone down very, very well. Um, a guy called uh, Rob Burrow who I don't know you guys if you're into rugby league at all, but uh, a lot of my family are from, well, half my family are from Leeds. Uh, so in, immediately my dad said, you can support who you like in football. But rugby league, you're going to be a fan of, and you are going to be a Leeds Rhinos fan straight away. And Rob Burrow was one of the players I watched growing up. Absolutely tiny bloke, five foot four or something, a hooker, but just one of the, well, scrum half really but one of the most diminutive, smallest players on the pitch playing alongside Giants and playing against Giants. And he made most of them look stupid. A 
across his career. Uh, sadly, Rob was diagnosed uh, well, coming up a year and a half ago now with motor neurons disease, um, and he's still fighting it now. And he's one of the most inspirational people I think I've I've ever seen. So whenever I do these talks and I say, you know, people are expecting me to say Shearer or I don't know someone in Johnny Wilkinson or whatever it might be, and I always say someone like Rob Burrow, and no one's really ever heard of Rob, and Rob I'm sure would be absolutely fine with that because he's the most humble bloke ever but one of the most talented sportsmen I've ever met in my entire life, but also one of the most inspirational people with what he's going through at the minute. And uh, yeah, he's he's a fighter, wonderful, wonderful bloke and a, a really, really good character. Um, but motor neuron disease is an absolute bitch, yeah. unfortunately. Um, but yes. No, it- it's interesting that you've 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 said that like oh it's the the easy options are like yeah Shearer or some some yeah. some someone who's always in the limelight but when you come with a story like that it's it it hits home and it, it's such a it's such a more moving powerful memory yeah. of of why you're you're appreciative of that athlete because yeah. it's this- not just the 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 average sort of like usual response. No, it, this I mean this is the thing with me I am very very different and I put that very politely many people would call me quite odd and quite strange and i'm absolutely fine with that i prefer to be different than uh, than follow everyone else but with rob yeah i mean i just hope he, he kind of gets remembered for twofold for one for making an absolute arse out of uh, the st helens fullback all those years ago in the grand final uh, where he scored one of the greatest tries i think i've ever witnessed on a pitch uh, but also remembered for the way he's actually fought more neurons disease yeah. really really hard with dignity with honor and just with humility as well with that's how he's carried himself throughout his entire life i'm sure certainly throughout his career and uh yeah he's, he's a wonderful wonderful bloke uh, and someone who yeah someone who should be looked at with with a lot of respect and admiration no oh, fantastic um, guys, I don't know if you want to add anything to that before we start moving on to the whole Newcastle topics. We should talk Newcastle, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should. Probably, probably, probably. Good thing. On, on topic, shall we say? Um, so, obviously, like, you've been you've been covering um, all the northeast sports during the circus that has been Newcastle United since the takeover, yeah. uh, and, and it has been a circus. Let's be honest. There's not many clubs will get a takeover and have this massive street party that lasts for two days. Um, <laughs> there, there were a fair few hangovers the next day. I mean, we yeah. we got the news break breaking pretty late at night, I think, and I'm not sure I slept that night at all. Uh, and and you you kind of wake up in the morning and the party's still going, and then the goes on into the night and this wow this is this is this is something special so yeah. i guess it, it's been a i mean it's been astonishing the, the the change since it's been there but from you as a journalist point of view like what's your feelings on like sort of since the change of ownership and and how it's made that big impact on not only the fans but the club in general since the since the takeover it's strange because obviously I'm a, I'm a journalist and reporter, a broadcaster who lives right in the centre of Newcastle as well. And, and that really just goes to showcase everything that's happening around. So no matter where you go, whether it's Greg's for a sausage roll, whether it's Asda for, to stick your head in a frozen freezer, or wherever it might be, there are always people still talking. I remember not long after the takeover, two things happened. One, I was covering Leeds United press conference out in Weatherby, and I stopped by Weatherby services, and you know, as you do, stop and get a Greg's for lunch. And uh, the last behind the counter had said to me, "You know, you're not from around here. Where are you from?" I said, "From Newcastle." She went, "He, I mean, good. Are you a Newcastle fan?" I said, "Yeah." She said, 
blooming good over in Newcastle, isn't it? At the minute, there's a party going on because of a takeover. Great feeling. I'm like, there's someone in Greg's who knows all about this. Like, <laughs> and we are just like hitting huge news at the moment in Newcastle. And the amount of optimism, no matter what has happened on the pitch, because you know we've we've been tonked a couple of times on the pitch. You know, Spurs away springs to mind, City yeah. as well. But let's face it, I mean, which team doesn't get tonked by Manchester City? They're absolutely incredible. Um, you know, but apart from those, the, the optimism and the feeling around this city has been the best part of it. I know when people ask me that question, like, what has it been like as a reporter? Yeah, it's been great, obviously, because we've had so many years where we're constantly reporting on a relegation battle or we're constantly reporting on no transfer rumours or no transfer stories whatsoever. And sure, it gets to you. But that's really irrelevant. What is relevant is the feeling around this city because it is a great city. And when the fans are on board and the city are together, I'm starting to sound like Eddie Howe here. I've spent far too much time around Eddie. Um, I'm, I'm starting to recurtinate everything he's saying. Um, but the feeling of that kind of unity is just unbiased. But you don't get that anywhere else. You just don't get that anywhere else. And it's a powerful, powerful force. So to have that from a fan perspective has been brilliant. But from a reporter perspective, going into press conferences, you know, getting Eddie on board, who I'm sure we'll talk about, but one of my favourite people in football, I think, is Eddie. And I've only known him since October. I don't think I'd ever encountered him before that. Wonderful bloke. I'm sure we'll come on to him. But, you know, having Eddie join, having the players that have joined as well, who have just got it. But the players already at the club, I think what people forget is, you know, there were players at Newcastle United who helped us get promoted, who were with us throughout the relegation battles, who, you know, did all of that, who are still with us at the club. And, Having sat down with quite a few of them, as we do on a weekly basis, with one of them each week, you saw the delight in their faces. John Joe Shelby was talking about how he took a trip down to, you know, St. James's Park on that night to see what it was like and, you know, to see the party atmosphere outside of St. James's Park. And, you know, there was a couple of other players who mentioned that they, you know, went down. I think Jamal Lascelles did too. And you just think, you know, we get so detached away from football and we think, you know, they're footballers. My God, they're on a different planet. They're not. They're just human beings. And they're attached to Newcastle as a city and attached to Newcastle as a club. And they were as delighted as each and every one of us. So in the months since, yes, of course, there was the miraculous escape from where we were back in November, uh, which was quite astonishing. I know people go, well, you threw £90 million at it. Sure, Newcastle did. But at the same time, you've got to still cover off on the pitch and you've still got to do what matter. But you know, to have the city change like it has, to have the club change in such a short space of time has been incredible to witness and incredible to report on. And it's been a privilege to be a, a very, very, very small part of as well. Yeah, that that um, that sense of hope, I think, more than anything, that was just missing for so long. Yeah. Uh, as soon as that that was was rekindled, yeah. it's just, the club's just gone through the roof. Uh, I mean, the fans are just, just crazy now at... Um, I mean, I don't think yeah. anyone gets it though. I, I was chatting to someone down south, a good friend of mine who is a born and bred in London, and he literally was like, "I, I don't get it. Like, I, I really don't." And I'm like, "Well, you're not going to get it at all because you've not been a, a part of this club, or you don't really understand how it is in the northeast." But he turned around, and was like, "Wait, hang on a minute. If you're having a party after a one-one draw at home, what the <laughs> heck is it?" What the heck's it going to be like if you, you know, this car's honking outside mine at two o'clock in the morning? After <laughs> one nil win. You know, what's it going to be like when you're in the Europa League or 
heavens yeah. above the Champions League and maybe winning major trophies, <clears throat> you're going to have to start declaring bank holidays in Newcastle. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it is. I mean, I, I remember when I, when I was actually working in Newcastle and I had my season ticket, I, I, we, I had my season ticket. I was going to all the Champions League games under when uh, Sir Bobby Robson was, was manager and um, you know the, the the Juventus night at home at St James's Park. Andy, I think it was Andy Griffin. Oh, right. um, yeah, scored one uh, nil. Yeah, and it was just the the atmosphere then was fantastic. And you know we were taking what twelve thousand, twelve and a half thousand to Inter Milan. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know that's just crazy. So I think just being starved of of any kind of hope, the fans have just like rekindled that in in waves at the moment. And it's, it's great to see. It's just great to see everyone finally enjoying the club again. It doesn't matter if we're not winning anything. It's just the fact that we've we've got that. We can dare to dream. And that's what I say to anyone who kind of questions it, when anyone who talks about my job or whatever, I'm saying it's nothing to do with our jobs. It's the fans, the supporters who deserve it. And I know how kind of sycophantic that sounds maybe, but they blooming well do. Like, they, 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 there are a few better sets of fans than Newcastle United fans. And to see what they've not necessarily gone through, of course, I know it's all relative and I know it's football, yeah. But being subjected to around St James's Park over years gone by, and to see what it's been like over a small microcosm of time since last October—it's not even a year since the takeover yet—it's been absolutely tremendous to see so many fans kind of so happy again, going about their daily lives, going to work, looking forward to the game at the weekend. It's as simple as that. Kevin Keegan always talked about that. He said we have a job to entertain them at the weekend because they've had a week at work. They come in St. James's Park on the weekend and we have a job and a duty to entertain. And that's now where Newcastle United are once again at the start of that kind of process of developing a team that are going to be doing that. And interestingly, you mentioned the event this game there, mate, because when we sat down with Dan Byrne, right at the start, I think he just signed about a week or so ago and we sat down with him at St. James's. And I I said to him, you know, he's obviously a big Newcastle fan, has been all his life. And I said, what were kind of like your first memories of St. James's and as a kid of your dad bringing you? He was like, Juventus, Juventus and those goals. And I remember stood up like in the East Stand, sat in the East Stand and watching it. I was like, this is absolutely class. I'm like, Mate, you could be <laughs> not to get carried away but off camera. You could be part of that inside. I know. It's <laughs> crazy. But you know, it, it's yeah, it's astounding. It's absolutely brilliant. And you know what? Like you rightly said before, mate, the fans, above all else, they're the ones who who really, really deserve it, I think. Uh, I think the the changes under Eddie Howe have been pretty pretty impressive and I think that as you said the players seem to be enjoying themselves once again Uh, I mean Shelby to me was always a little bit I mean I've always had an issue because I've 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 always felt he's been a little bit lackadaisical um maybe lack of concentration didn't quite have the discipline didn't have the focus but he's a different player now as well and I mean we get on about Joe Linton being this like like revolution under Eddie Howe but John Joe Shelby for me attitude wise he he's he's changed like sort of right the way around. He's now, he's working hard for the team and everything he's saying is just like, I'm excited about where this club's going and I want to be a part of it. And I'm going to try my hardest to be a part of that. So I guess from, from the Eddie Howe taking over, what's the biggest changes that you've seen um, in, in his time, his short time here? Um, You've, you've covered one straight away and Joel Lintz, I mean, you can't come on a Newcastle United podcast and not talk about Joe Linton because 
I think everyone, even outside of a Newcastle circle, is happy for that man because he works his arse off away from things. You know, he, he brings in data analysts to check in every single game. He does so much work away from just the training ground. And to think, this is why it was one of my favourite stories from last season, not just because of where he started. He was much maligned and, you know, criticised in a lot of areas and everything like that. But it's the way that it happened because if Kieran Clark had not been set off against Norwich, Joel Linson wouldn't have gone into midfield and all of a sudden, you know, and Eddie's, I don't think he's ever laid claim and said, yeah, I'm resp- I was always going to reinvent him as a midfield. He's never said that. It was ultimately one of those strange things that just happened. The dominoes fell into place. And all of a sudden, you've got a midfield destroyer in, in Joel Linson. You know, there's this six foot four, big bloke, you know, stamina, ridiculous stamina, loves a tackle, works his ass off on the pitch too. And he, he chips in with the odd goal. He's obviously an aerial threat too. And you're thinking, hang on a minute. Where's this come from? All of a sudden, we've got, you know, one of the most statistically excellent midfielders in the Premier League. Yeah. Where's, where's he been hiding? And maybe it was his true position all, all along. We sat him down towards the end of last season. I said, look, where's your position now? Because now you're a striker, left winger, right winger, midfielder, defensive mid, box to box. Where he is? I just like to be in the action, he says. (laughs) (laughs) Just perfectly honest. So, yeah, Joel Linton was probably the story that really epitomises the change in that team. Because that was, what, November, December, I think? When we drew with Norwich Mm. at St. James's. And it was round about the start when you could just feel the wheels starting to kind of turn under Eddie Howe and the team starting to understand this ethos, this high intensity, high press, you know, work hard ethos under Eddie Howe, positionally disciplined, all of that sort of stuff. And then you throw Joe Linton just 2.0 into the mix and you've got this team that now have a bit of a full point. So that really epitomised and, and just kind of contextualised everything for me. But, you know, the work that Eddie has has done... I know there's the stories of him coming into the training ground at five o'clock in the morning and not leaving until seven or eight o'clock at night, even later. But especially those first few months where he was in a hotel room, he has, he's a big, big family man, he said. It's one of the things I really, really like about him. Absolutely huge family man. And his family are still down on the South Coast. He's up here in Newcastle and he literally just surrounds himself straight away, immerses himself with everything to do with Newcastle United, the football, all of that. I, I thought, I, I know obviously Pep Guardiola and, and Jurgen Klopp were obviously going to be up for manager of the season, but as biased as I might sound, I thought Eddie was a shoe in for that. I really, really um, did. I thought the work that he agreed. did and the changes that he made at the club, not just on the pitch, but off it. He's turned the, the press room into a happier area. He's turned the city into a happier area. Everything he said has just been right on the knuckle every single time. He's been brilliant with the players. He hasn't thrown any of them under the bus. He's always supported them. He's made them work. I know you mentioned John Joe before. The first week of training under Eddie, I think he said, <laughs> was it to me that he, he basically went back to his, uh, his room on the night and he was asleep by half past five because he was that nap. <laughs> Eddie was making him do and you're like love the honesty but also love the fact Eddie's just come in and decided to work them straight away but yeah look in terms of a manager in terms of his football prowess the evidence is right there you don't change a team round from 20th in the Premier League and relegation almost certainties into an 11th place you know 10th place 
you know, fighting top half, let's be honest, we maybe even should have finished top half last season. But you don't manage to do that unless you're a very, very good football manager. But it's the person as well. And I cannot stress this enough. Dealing with Eddie Howe, both one-to-one in press conferences, away from the cameras, has been one of the joys of my broadcasting career so far. And that might sound a little bit OTT, but what a great bloke he is. What a lovely bloke he is. And uh, I really, really hope that he's at Newcastle United for years to come because he truly, truly deserves it. Yeah, I think it's just like his his overall professionalism um, whenever he's interviewed, he just, he takes his time, he answers the questions, he lets, even um, like, you know, even when it's a loss, he, he doesn't sort of come out with excuses. It's just like, you know what, this went wrong, we could change this. He doesn't doesn't hide. Um, it's just been, it's been great. And I mean, you know, as as we've, we've covered, it's, it, the fact he's changed Joe Linton from someone who can head his own uh, shot away to someone who's like literally the best midfield enforcer in the game right now and has players in his pocket for the whole game. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, full credit This to is him. what I feel sorry for Joe Linton. Every single good thing he does, no matter what he does, he could score the winning goal in the Champions League final, could Joe Linton for us, guaranteed. People are still going to remember him for the <laughs> his own shot away every single time. I, I, but I think most of us just still don't understand how that is like physically possible for him to have done. Sure, so so like, it's credit to him for that, if nothing else. Just yeah. like, yeah, it, it looks crazy, but you know, well, well played for even doing that. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, we've um, we've covered Eddie, Eddie Howe. I don't know how much you've had to do with um, Amanda Staveley and the Rubens. Um, have you had a chance to speak to them at all behind Not the scenes much. as well? No, we, we don't. Where I cover it at Premier League Productions, we don't tend to deal with the owners. It's very much on the playing side. But in terms of being around the club, and in terms of uh, the one example I'm going to use, the Arsenal game, which was one of the best atmospheres I've heard at St. James's Park in, in years and one of the best Premier League atmospheres I've heard in years as well. Um, it was brilliant. I know at full time a lot was made about, obviously, the lap of honour and the fact that Amanda was, and, and you know, Merdad and the Ruben brothers as well were, were constantly, you know, kind of chatting to the fans as they went round. That was fantastic. What really, really summed it up for me was actually at half time, there was the new intake of... I'm going to get this age group wrong, so I apologise if I do. But I think it was under nines, the, the intake into the academy. Amanda Staveley came out onto the pitch at halftime and came and met every single one of them and wanted photos with them. And I thought, yeah, any owner can come out and do their lap of honour at full time in the final home game of the season. But not every owner comes out and does that at halftime with... Yeah you know, with a group of under nines where they can quite easily stay up there in hospitality or whatever and just stay away from that because that's not our problem. It's not It's not our not problem, but it's not our area. And the fact that she did that and the fact that she's been so immersed in this club, same with Merdad, same with the Rubin brothers as well, has been the, the real epitome of what they've brought to this club. And I know this phrase gets used constantly and even I get sick of myself using it, but they get it. Yeah. Eddie got it straight away. The owners got it straight away. And I know the the immediate kind of reaction was when they took over the club. And I know obviously the, the political elements of things and the morality behind it. But when the owners took over, the immediate accusation was, well, they've never run a football club before. What do they know? They're just going to chuck a load of money at it and it'll be gone in however long. 
Well, we're now however many months down the line. I know it's still very, very early days, but the plans to not just develop the club in terms of the first team are there and are quite obvious to see. The training ground facilities, the talk about the stadium, the academy, the foundation, the women's team, 24,000 at St. James's Park yeah. for a women's team game was absolutely astonishing and brilliant because, as you can see, everything that's happening with the Euros at the minute, women's football is finally getting the light shone on it that it deserves. And it's all that holistic atmosphere, meeting the fans, talking to the fans, you know, even being on social media, which... I'm not entirely sure it's the best idea, but it's entirely up to them. You know, it, it's stuff like that that allows them to link into the fans. So even though I haven't had any personal dealings with them, you know, it's been absolutely fine from that sort of perspective. Um, you know, having kind of Amanda do those things, having Jamie do those things and, you know, just getting involved with, with people like that, you know, yeah. um, it's been absolutely tremendous to have. So, yeah, it's been really, really interesting, to be honest, but they're fantastic people to work with, I'm sure. Fantastic people to kind of deal with from my perspective. And uh, yeah, it's been brilliant for Newcastle United since October. Yeah, so I, I actually had a ticket um, for, for the Arsenal game when I was over visiting in May. So that was yeah, yeah. that was fantastic. Um, oh. The atmosphere, I've never experienced anything like that in my in my whole time supporting Newcastle. That was that was something special. I'm still curious to know how Amanda managed to walk on the pitch in high heels. <laughs> <laughs> I've never tried it personally. I, I don't <laughs> see how that went. That would go down well. But yeah, fair play to her for that that fact alone. She didn't get involved in the kickabout though in the previous game. She didn't no. get involved in that. She left that one up to uh, Yasir Al Ramayan and the Rubens, and there was the infamous nutmeg as well. Yes, um, which I had to ask her. I think the next presser I asked Eddie about that and said, you know, what did you make of them and everything? And said, you know what, I've got some skills, you know, you know, we'll have to get them involved at some point. So yeah, watch this space. The Ruben brothers lining up left and right wing to start against Nottingham Forest. I, I remember a lot of criticism about that, like from, from like other fans of other clubs and stuff after the game. And it's like, oh, what are they doing that for? That's crap. It's like, seriously, if yeah. you owned a football club, would you not go out for a kickabout afterwards? Of course you would. Yeah, Absolutely. And see the stadium, get on there. I'd, I'd kick about during the game as well. <laughs> Do what you like. I, I, we, we tried to sneak out when, it, when we had a party at St. James's Park for our, leave, our, our work Christmas party. It was in the, the function rooms. We were like trying to see if we could sneak out on the pitch then. <laughs> you wouldn't do. I mean, shy bands get announced and all that, don't you? But it's the same with the, it's the, same with the, um, the dressing room photos as well. It, so many people criticised that and went, oh, they've only beaten Brentford away. Well, it's not about that. It, it's yeah. symbolic of the unity within the team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Eddie, I think, was getting a bit fed up of this towards the end of the season. Not that I, he would ever say it, but I got the impression he was like, you know what? If that's our thing, that's our thing. Leave us alone. You know, if that's what we want to do to unify the club and to unify the players and the fans with it. And it got to the point at the end of the season where I felt so sorry for the social media admin at Newcastle United because as soon as the full-time whistle went... They were just being bombarded, the official Twitter account, with, where's the photo? Where's the photo? We want the photo. We want this. We want that. And, you know, they normally came out about half an hour, didn't it, after the full-time whistle? But, uh, yeah, it, it, look, if that's Newcastle's thing, great. 
I don't get this whole culture at the minute where people criticise other people for celebrating things. Yeah, we live in a hard yeah. enough world with COVID doing the rounds. War, of course, raging in Europe at the moment. You know, economic recessions. If people want to celebrate something that makes them happy, let them bloody well do it, for Christ's sake. Honestly, sorry, that's the only time I'm going to go on a true rant on this. <laughs> Honestly. Honestly. So... <laughs> we, we've got um, so we've covered like the the change at the club in terms of like what the players are doing, what, what the, the the management, the owners are doing, and and how things are sort of so much more positive on the way up. Mm. What has kind of almost slipped under the radar a little bit um, in terms of how the club are planning to develop behind the scenes is the appointment of Dan Ashworth and most recently Darren Eels from yeah. Atlanta United. And we did, uh, uh, Jack did a podcast with the Atlanta um, United fan group uh, earlier this week um, so, talking about Dar uh, Darren Eels. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's another guy who just seems to get the fans. So, you know, Dan Ashworth, really nice guy, quiet, goes about his business complete professional and as i said well, i mean we talked we talked to brighton people who know what he's done there and and how much he's actually put in put in place so what do you make about those two appointments um and and how much do you think that is a huge long term kind of outlook for the club one word i'd use to describe measured no one knew anything about the appointment of Darren Eels. Obviously, Dan Ashworth was played out over quite a long period of time because of the contractual elements behind yes. the scenes with, with Brighton. But no one knew anything about this contact. with. If they did, they kept stub um, about Darren Eels. It just came out of absolutely nowhere. And I'm noticing that at Newcastle a lot more recently. Things aren't getting leaked anymore. But the two appointments themselves, Darren and Dan, both measured, clever and really, really astute appointments. Now, I don't know. I'm not going to be one of those people who <laughs> pretends that he knows a lot <laughs> about a player or about a, a professional off the pitch, but I don't know too much about Darren Eels. I've spoken to a couple of people out in the States, and they've said, as you would have heard on, on the podcast the other week, very, very good things about him, You know, especially with his relationship with the fans. He was at Atlanta, what, since 2014, yeah. And he literally changed that club, dragged it up from, you know, the ground upwards. And the relationship with the fans was absolutely incredible. I think, you know, not trying to think ahead of the owners or think along their mindset, but that to me screams that's one of the main reasons that they've brought him on because of what he can do alongside the fans in terms of, you know, building the various different cogs of the club. Someone like Dan Ashworth, who I know a lot more about, what a clever appointment that will be in future years because there's a lot of people who speak very very highly of dan certainly down at brighton i did a bit of work down at brighton um you know through premier league and, and through a couple of other different organizations and to spend time around their training ground and to see what they've built down there on the south coast it's incredible it's absolutely incredible the scouting network that they've got is unbelievable. The players that they've plucked from obscurity and gone on to, you know, make huge amounts of money from, you know, Cucurella, who Man City are looking to get at the moment, Eve Bissouma, who's just made the move out to uh, to Tottenham Hotspur. You know, the list can go on and on and on, and that's not wholly down to Dan. Of course, there's numerous different people down there that have that have contributed to that. But Dan was that kind of main fulcrum. Of it. I think in his first interview, he talked about being a, you know, bringing all the cogs of the wheels to, uh, of the wheel together of the football club. 
Um, he's that kind of bloke at the wheel. And I tell you now, that might be you can sign Bruno, who I'm sure we're going to talk about, or at least I'm definitely going to talk about Bruno. <laughs> whether like or not. I don't care. I'm talking about Bruno for a bit. Hi, Jack. <laughs> it's happening. Um, but you can sign players like Bruno Gimaraes, Sven Botman, bring Eddie in as manager, as wonderful as a job as he's done. I think Dan Ashworth could be the most important appointment that Newcastle United will make. And again, to go back to my previous point, when everyone was complaining and saying the owners don't have a clue, they won't appoint the right people, they've taken their time. They haven't been rushed into it. You know, they didn't want to appoint a chief executive officer, um, you know, chief operating officer, director of football, literally in November. They wanted to get the names right. They wanted to get the right people for the right positions. If it took until this summer, it took until this summer. And it has done. They've got the men that they wanted. And now those pieces of the puzzle are just starting to fall into place. And Newcastle is starting to build again, you know, uh, as a club, both on and off the pitch. So, yeah, two really, really good appointments for me. Like I said, can't talk too much about, about Darren because I've not really known too much about him apart from what I've been told. But Dan Ashworth... Equally, just a really clever, astute appointment, I think, for Newcastle. Work wonders. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they worked together when they, um, Ashworth was at West Brom as well. So mm. there is a little bit of history there together as well. Yeah. Um, for, for me, the big thing that has always been, not not the problem at Newcastle, but one of the, the, the bits where things never seemed to gel was that development of players through like all the different age groups and into the reserves and into the first team. And I think Dan Ashworth is that type of person where everything's going to be on the same page. So, you know, the one thing that he's done very well at at Brighton, and as you said, it's like, you know, they've got coaches and they've got scouting staff and all of that doing doing the hands-on stuff but he's holding all of that together and if you if you look at what they're doing they've just they're selling a player but they've got someone ready to come in and because everyone's on the same page they're all playing the same style of football they're all kind of like doing the same kind of processes it's a very easy transition for them to come back up into the first team so that they've got this conveyor belt of players and you kind of you have to think that if he's got that capability here at Newcastle with more funds available so that we're starting with a better talent pool, if you like, yeah, yeah. then that's only going to be a massive positive for, for the club itself. Oh, um, massively, massively. Yeah. You know, he's, he's kind of the glue that holds it all together, isn't he? And yeah. there are so many different facets to a successful football club that, you know, it goes way beyond the, the, the results on the pitch of the first team. You know, you're talking about your, like you say, your academy. You're talking about the kids who are coming through those under nines that have now been intaken yeah. into the academy. You're talking about your women's team. You're talking about your fans, your foundation, all of it. And to have a bloke as experienced and as highly thought of as Dan Ashworth right at the top of it, it gives Newcastle credibility. I think. I think that's the big word. And a lot of people will have looked at the takeover and gone, there's another big money takeover, Newcastle now, unofficially the richest club in the world and all of this, but let's see what they're at. Having someone like Dan Ashworth there just gives them the stability, the grounding and that credibility that I think a lot of people didn't give them at the start. Yeah. Um, and you can already see a big change in the transfer. I mean, I, I'm the, the person I feel really, really happy for at the minute is Eddie because Eddie was worked off his arse in January, doing the job of a manager, doing the job as a recruitment expert, you know, all of that. 
he must have been breathed a huge sigh of relief when Dan Ashworth was appointed to a certain extent, you know, because obviously he'll still be involved in the process, but Dan is it will be leading that process now. And to have him come in and, and to kind of lead the transfer, you've seen what, how, what happened with Sven Botman. You know, to get a player like Sven in, I think is a lot down to, to Dan uh, as well as obviously the project and the ambition that is going on at Newcastle United. But the movement's out as well on loan. I think Dwight Gale might be the latest, although that could be a permanent deal to Stoke. We're looking at that and going, that's happening a lot quicker now. The cogs, are, the wheels are starting to turn. And yeah. a lot of that, yeah, you're right, is down to, down to Dan Ashworth. Craig, Keegan, I don't know if you want to add anything to there, ask any questions before we dive into the players. Yeah, just talking from 1st of January onwards, <clears throat> in the first signing of the new era and Kieran Trippier. Yeah. I don't know if you've had much dealing with him since he's come to the club, but in terms of leadership on and off the pitch, yeah. he's just been absolutely phenomenal considering he's only had short game time uh, with yeah. that broken foot. When I mean, he scored that goal against Everton, uh, that free kick, uh, St. James's was just in raptures from there. And I think uh, we've got a new leader and he's probably going to be the, the main captain on the pitch as I don't imagine LaSalle's getting much game time. Would yeah. you agree with that? Yeah, um, I think that this obviously came up what again in the friendly against Mainz, didn't it? Because Trippier captained Newcastle against Mainz. Um, I can't see Jamal getting too much. I think Jamal will stay. Uh, I hope Jamal stays as well because he's he's done he's done wonders for Newcastle United over the years. He's been a really, really good captain as well. I think he's been unfairly criticised in, in some quarters for what you know he's done both on and off the pitch. But in terms of trips, yeah, I mean the the lads are a born leader. Like he, he just is. You can see you, you can see the aura about him. I know that sounds a bit weird, but you can see that in good captains, in good leaders, that they've got this kind of aura about him where it drags everyone else up. Mentioned the goal against Everton. That was the turning point in Newcastle season for me. Um, everything changed from there. And you were kind of just all of a sudden, where from where you were going uphill, everything was just downhill. And it was like, this is brilliant. There's momentum behind us. We're absolutely flying. Um, and the big thing for me with Trips was when he picked up that injury, uh, that foot injury, the first thing that was pointed out was he's traveling to the away games as well as he can, you know, if he hasn't going to be clashed with physiotherapy or with, you know, hospital appointments or whatever it might be, or the surgery, he would be traveling with the team. He would be the team's unofficial cheerleader mascot. He would be with the team in the dressing room at halftime, at full time, all of this. And that's a proper leader. That's someone who's going to, you know, I think you're right, captain the side, be the on-pitch captain uh, this season. I can't see it. There's maybe a couple of candidates, but I think Kieran's the one that, that Eddie will be looking at for that. Um, and then Jamal, if, if and when he does play, will take the armband. He'll be the club captain still. Uh, that's definitely the way I see it going, uh, especially after Mainz. But I, I don't think that there's many better for the job. I think the the work that he does both on and off the pitch in terms of you know, not just vocally, but you can shout all you want, can't you? But if you can't do it, then what's the point? He leads from the front, both physically and, and vocally. Yeah, um, leads by example. Yeah, he's an incredible, he's a very, obviously a very experienced player. You know, you don't play in, you know, however many England internationals, you don't go and win La Liga with Atleti. You, you don't do any of that, play Champions League football without being experienced. But, you know, he's still got a lot to offer. He's 31. Closing in on 32, he's got another two or three years of really, really high quality football left in him. So, you know, I think he's going to be at Newcastle for a long time to come. And yeah, I think he's going to be probably the captain on the pitch to lead us into it as well. 
Kagan, you've got anything? Uh, no. <laughs> no? Just That's all good. Ask me about Bruno Gimaraes, Kagan. I was going to say, ask me, ask, ask <laughs> yeah, about Yeah, so how's Trippy a captain when Bruno's going to be the king of Newcastle? I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be hard. Newcastle and not be the captain. It's fine. It's two separate things. It's like having a prime minister and a queen. <laughs> we terrible, are, we terrible are. analogy that, isn't it? Plumbing out. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening in England at the minute? <laughs> God, I. Yeah. We uh, we done a pod. I was, I think it was last week. Our sort of all-time Premier League eleven for Newcastle, mm. and we well, I broached that in two or three years' time, Bruno could be the best midfielder that we've ever seen. Yeah. Play for the club, and that's like. If you've got Lee and Speed and Beardsley, Kabai to a lesser extent as well, like it's a pretty, it's a pretty big call. But I mean, given what he's shown these first six months, and I don't know, I was sort of torn at the start whether it was him being really, really good, and what we've had previously has been really, really shit. So he looks a bit better than what he actually is. And then, sort of, the longer the season went, I went, oh no, 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 he's. He's different gravy, this bloke. Like, he actually knows yeah. what's going on. Yeah. he's. He, I mean, we, we've got to kind of cover it. Again, I hate, I've used this expression about 18 times already in this hour, but on and off the pitch. On the pitch, I mean, the, the bloke's a, a mercurial talent, an absolutely mercurial talent. He can do everything. He can do, he's one of those players that you just sit up when he gets the ball because you know he's going to make things happen every single time but his work ethic is incredible for a player that talented as well because you might have all the talent in the world but if you don't work hard then you know what are you 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 name up i suppose yeah, you um, joined Shelby three but, years ago <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you, you can leave all of that you know at the door but i mean i i genuinely didn't think he's going to adapt to English football as quickly as he did. I was speaking to a, a bloke I know out in France, and he's a bit of a South American football expert, and he was the one who told me, watch Bruno in, in January, watch Bruno Guimaraes, Newcastle are interested. And I knew of Bruno. I didn't know lots about him, but I knew of bits that I'd seen from Lyon, from watching Liga, uh, watching the Champions League as well. And I knew of this Brazilian midfield, 23, 24 years old, who was pretty good. He'd been linked with Arsenal a few times. I said, no, like we'd have to... We'd have to go big on him. He says, trust me, he'll be a Newcastle player. And I couldn't, but I was with my partner and I said to her, I think Newcastle are going to get Bruno Gimaraes. And, you know, my partner, who's a really big Newcastle fan, bless her, didn't have a clue what I was talking about. Um, and she was like, well, great. Sounds fantastic. Um, you know, <laughs> just go along with it. And literally from the minute he walked into that club and we did his first press conference, his one of his first sentences were, I'm here to win things. I'm here to win the Champions League. And you could see the looks around the room. They're like, this bloke's talking about winning the Champions League and the 19th in the league. How is that going to happen? Born again winner. You can see it in his eyes. You can see it. He's just steely as heck. He knew what he wants to achieve at this club. He's 24 years old and he has an idea of where he wants his career to be. And he'll stop at nothing to achieve it. And then to produce the performances that he did on the pitch. I mean, that goal against Southampton, that performance against Leicester. I know everyone goes on about that headed goal at the end. It was his 
equaliser that I was more impressed at. You know the number of players that would have given. Do you know which one I'm talking? The one where Schmeichel had kind of he's on the deck. Yeah, yeah. You know the number of players who would have given that up, but he he saw it and was like, no, I'm getting right. He's a little pit bull in the nicest possible way. He's also a massive dog person, so I'm a huge fan, you know, of him for that at the very, very least. Got two great dogs, Golden Retriever and Labrador. But I sat down with him on that day when he did his first press conference. I told you I was going to rant about Bruno because I, I, I absolutely love the bloke. I think he, he, he's tremendous. Um, and unfortunately, no matter how long Bruno is at the club, no matter how many times I interview him, Bruno, I'm sure, will remember me for one thing. And that is for sitting down and not checking what was in my seat before I sat down. And my camera operator, John, had, for some unknown reason, left his coffee flask uh, on my seat. And I managed to, A, knock it over, but not realise I'd knocked it over, and then sit down as well at the same time. So I had a very hot, and this is going to sound really awful, hopefully this is, uh, you know, a very hot and a very wet arse. Um, sat down interviewing Newcastle's biggest signing of recent memory. And Bruno, bless him, who couldn't speak much English at the time, kind of half smiled, saw what happened and was like, you okay? I was like, crap, he's noticed. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> Just going to have to style out. I was like, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll go along with it, Bruno. We're fine. You know, we're all right. I'll just sit in this puddle for the rest of the interview for 15 minutes. But uh yeah, what a bloke to sit and listen to. And for him as well, away from his footballing abilities, to be able to learn English the way he has, to have like exactly, a lesson a yeah. day. Whoa. Like this is a bloke who means who means business. That that's your next level. The one who doesn't say, I'll learn it in a couple of years. I'll learn it as I go. You know? He actively came in and was like, I'm gonna learn English as quickly as I can because that'll help me play better. And that's what I want to do. And his English now is probably better than mine to be fair um which isn't particularly hard but you know to have that incredible so brilliant guy brilliant bloke what a wonderful footballer and you know what mate i don't think you're far off there i think maybe in a year's time also we'll be turning around and saying he would definitely make it into a newcastle united all-time 11 mm. definitely if he carries on the way he did i put out a tweet last week and probably a bit OTT considering he was playing 1860 Munich and he only played 35 minutes. <laughs> but he scored and assisted. And immediately I was like, you know what? Bruno Gimaraes, this season, he'll be he'll be the one to watch out of any of the 20 clubs. World class, that bloke. World class. And he'll he'll definitely shine this what, season. Injury permitted touch wood. What I, what I find really intriguing with him as well, though, is when he came, he's not fast. He's not quick. He doesn't have a lot of pace and everyone said, oh, he's not going to be quick enough for the Premier League. But he creates so much time for himself by just being so comfortable. Every time he gets the ball, it doesn't matter if someone's literally on his shoulder. And he's yeah. kind of lost the ball a couple of times that I could probably remember. Like you yeah. can't on one hand, basically. Yeah. But again, that's like, you know, adjusting to the league and, you know, well, we can't have as much time on the ball. But he just looks comfortable on the ball and he's always looking to do something with it. And nine times out of 10, he does. You know, he reminds me of, and this is probably a really, really big compliment given what he accomplished in, well, everything in football. Cesc Fabregas. He reminds me of him in the way that he moves, in the way that he looks before he receives the ball, in the way that he just controls the game on a, on a, on a string. Um, and you're right. He's not the quickest in terms of leg speed. He's the quickest up there, yeah. though. 
he's about two steps ahead of anyone else on that pitch until he comes up against your, your, your highest quality midfields in the world, which hopefully he will do in a Newcastle United shirt in, in seasons to come. But yeah, it just goes to show you don't have to be you know, rapid on the ground to be that good. He thinks so far ahead of anyone else. And I just noticed it towards, the, I think it was the Leicester game. I was watching it, I was like, I was watching it with a friend of mine. I wasn't working the game. I said, who's he reminding me? And my mate said, I, I know who you're talking about. I said, it's Fabregas. He reminds me of Fabregas in his passing ability, in the way he's thinking, in the way that he's least, at least three or four passes ahead in terms of his mind. He knows where that move's going three or four passes before he even receives the ball. And that's the sign of a, a truly world-class player. Yeah. And I mean, his, only, his ball, Mickey's goal last season, oh. that was just, yeah, like chest the ball down, straight yeah. away looking to play someone in. But it was he knew where he was putting it as well. Yeah. He, he weighted it right and he just made it perfect for Miggy to run onto. It was just, the, yeah. The best thing about that goal was, was it Emil Kraft who took a throw? I think it was Kraft. Yes, it was, yeah. Kraft, it was, yeah. He shouted at Kraft to take that quickly. He shouted at him to get it in back into play as quickly as possible because he could see this move develop. And the more you watch that goal, as well as, let's be honest, Miggy's finish was sensational. You know, it took a lot of finishing that. Of course it did. But the build-up and the chest and the pass, but even before that with the throwing, that was a hell of a goal. Hell of a goal. And it was all about Bruno Guimaraes. Yeah. Um, not to take anything away from Emil, not to take anything away from Miggy. That was a Bruno Guimaraes goal, and there'll be plenty more of them this season. Yeah, uh, I think it's like with the with the whole pace thing. I think a lot of people. I don't, I don't want to take you away from talking about Bruno anymore, but uh, we, we do need to finish <laughs> up at some point tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all all four of us, I'm sure, could like sort of wax lyrical about him all night because yeah, it's just like need need to get the season on. I remember walking out after the Arsenal game, and I met up with a couple of my old mates I used to go to yeah. games with, and I said, "It's like yeah, I've got such a man crush on Bruno." And one of them turns around and goes, "Get in line, we saw him first." <laughs> 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 he is. I mean, he's just idolised, isn't he? Let's be honest. Already, he's only been with us six months, and uh, yeah. he's already an absolute hero. So, yeah, long may it continue. Hopefully, I haven't jinxed the living hell out of him during this month. Nah, but 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 talking about pace and stuff, um, our other big signing, obviously, Sven Botman. Everyone's saying that he's not fast enough for the Premier League either. And as I've keep, I keep saying to everyone, like, if you look at how he plays from from yeah. the clips that we've seen, he reads the game so well. He he's kind of anticipating where he needs to be, what he needs to do, and he, he remind. I mean, John Terry wasn't quick. Jonathan no. Woodgate wasn't quick, and they were some of the best defenders in the Premier League yeah. because they had that anticipation and they had that reading of the game. So mm. for me, that's not a problem. I think his passing early on in in preseason has just been phenomenal. Yeah. Um, what do you make of Sven Botman's signing and how much do you think that's a massive coup for the club to sweep him out from under AC Milan? Uh, well, first and foremost, let's talk about his pace. His recovery pace is actually quite good. Like, he, he doesn't... I, I've seen defenders in the Premier League where it looks like turning the Titanic as soon as you get them turned. Botman actually has a bit of... I read an article, I can't remember where it was, um, but it was an analytical article on his time over at Lille and how he's improved since Ajax. And they said the one thing he worked so, so hard on was his sprinting, was his acceleration, was his pace off the mark. And he has improved massively. Is he the fastest defender in the Premier League? No, he probably won't be. But like you say, rightly so, he thinks ahead of the game. 
and he does read the game exceptionally well. And he's still got quite a little bit of recovery pace in him as well. So I think he's, yeah, to answer your question, firstly, what a signing that is. You know, to get a 22-year-old centre-back where a lot of European clubs, like your AC Milans of the world, Manchester United were once looking at him as well. I think Arsenal were too. You know, this is a player with some serious pedigree that we've got. And in a strange sort of way, he's probably more of a high-profile signing than Bruno was. I promise I won't mention Bruno again. But he's, I think he's even more of that because of the likes that AC Milan were after him. And it, it wasn't necessarily down to the money exclusively. It was down to the ambition and the project that Newcastle United sold him. And the fact that we chased him since January. You know, we would have got him in January if Lille hadn't said, you know what, state of the summer, you've got Champions League, you're playing Chelsea in the Champions League, stay with us till the summer and then we'll do what we can to get you the move. Um, and obviously he stayed, but we stuck around. We wanted to get him. And I think he respects that a lot. I think he's a really, really quite level-headed 22-year-old. Uh, and I think he respected the fact that we wanted him badly. We want to build a, a defence around him. Um, so, yeah, to, to beat AC Milan to his... I mean, two years ago, even a year ago, <laughs> if you were to say that Newcastle United would have beat AC Milan to the signature of one of the most sought-after defenders in Europe, someone would have asked how many pints of brown ale he had had. But, you know, it, it just... It, it's incredible. It shows how far Newcastle United have come, but also it shows the type of team that they're trying to build. Progressive, comfortable on the ball, solid as well, but really disciplined, being able to read the game quickly and well. Bruno's, sorry, the same. Um, you know, the likes, uh, they'll want to bring in other players. Trippier's the same, Target's the same. Pope, obviously, is slightly different being a goalkeeper, but those sort of players are the players that Eddie Howe wants to build his team around. And if you're talking to me about a spine of Nick Pope, Sven Botman, Bruno Gimaraes, and at the minute, Callum Wilson, and maybe another striker in the next six weeks or so, that's a blooming strong spine for a team. It's a really strong, strong spine. So yeah. I think it was the signing that they wanted in the summer. From what I was told behind the scenes, I think Sven Botman, weirdly enough, as much as we need attacking reinforcements, I think Sven Botten was the one that they absolutely 100% cast iron wanted. And they got him done really quickly. Um, or as quickly as they possibly could. So, great signing. Great coup to get him out from AC Milan. And I tell you what, I think that bloke's a future captain of Newcastle in years to come. I really do. Yeah. It's, um, we seem to be adding a lot of tall timber to the club as well. <laughs> Massive team, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> you know who I feel sorry for? Ryan Fraser. <laughs> Ryan Fraser. It must be like, have you ever seen the big friendly giant, Roald Dahl's the BFG? Yeah. <laughs> it must be like when the little girl gets taken to the giant world, uh, training with, with Ryan Fraser in the Newcastle lot. You must look around him and see Dan Burns, Sven Botman, I mean, Jamal Lascelles is a small Ivan, Nick Paul, Martin Dubravka, you know, uh, Chris Wood. I think, geez, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> I love Ryan Fraser. What a tremendous fella he is. Great fun. Tremendous fun. And to have constantly, I don't know whether they did it per, on purpose at the start, but they definitely were doing it on purpose towards the end of the season. To constantly have Ryan Fraser either walk out behind Dan Byrne or be next to him in the team photo in the dressing room afterwards. <laughs> Stroke a genius. It's one of the best things I saw last season. Uh, um, I saw a tweet by Dan Byrne, to, uh, I think it was either today or yesterday, um, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do everything I can to see if I can get Ryan Fraser out on my shoulders when we walk out for the first game. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay to see that. 
I don't even want yes. to go as a media professional. Yeah. <laughs> but th- those two have got like a really, really good relationship. I don't know yeah. if you saw, not to kind of promote other broadcasters, but I think Sky did something with them where they were talking through the FIFA rankings and talking through their their kind of like personal life and all of that. And they were great value. I think it's about 10 minutes long, but if you haven't seen it, search it out on YouTube. It, it's tremendous fun. Really good lads. Really good people. Um, and yeah, I, I just feel a bit sorry for Ryan. <laughs> I mean, his, his neck must be in all sorts of bother. Having to look up constantly around him and being surrounded by these giants. But you know, seriously speaking, it gives us a massive advantage, shouldn't it? You know, yeah. you, you, you're looking at these... Interesting. Oh, I mean, yeah, we're a huge threat from set pieces, especially when you're not just talking about the players that you've got in the penalty box. You've got people who are really, really good at set piece deliveries. Matt Target, I think, is underrated wholeheartedly anyway. I thought he was brilliant at times last season and really consistently good too. But his yeah. set piece delivery never really gets talked about enough. Um, I think he's on the money most times. Trippier, obviously, his set piece is a brilliant. Shelby's, yeah. you know, m- for the m- most part, a pretty decent as well. Bruno can take a mean set piece. Sorry. But, you know, you're kind of, you're looking at I that. Apologize. You know. <laughs> I apologize. I'm conscious of the fact that I've mentioned him about 87 times in the space of an hour. Yeah, but, you should see our group chat, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you should see around the corner in the bedroom, we've got just a mural in a shrine that's in a garage. Um, I haven't really, seriously, if anyone does see that, that that's a bit creepy. Uh, but yeah, set piece delivery, absolutely fantastic. We're going to have that sort of threat as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's it really is land of a giants at Newcastle. At the minute, in in so. terms of Chris Wood, what do you make of him, and how do you reckon he's going to fit into the team? Because obviously he struggled for goals. Um, I think he did what we what we bought him for. We needed a striker in. We paid a release fee because nobody was going to sell us one at the time. Yeah. Um, he came in, did a job for us. Just yeah. didn't quite come off for him in terms of the goals, yeah. but. Do you see him still having that role in the side or do you think his time will be limited um, unless we get injuries or? Yeah, I I hate to stand it, kind of sit on the fence on this one. It all depends on what happens in the next six weeks uh, or five weeks now. Newcastle are still in the market for a a winger and a striker. And if they bring in a striker, I mean, you're looking at that pushing Chris down to, you know, to number three in the pecking order. Dwight's obviously disappearing off to Stoke, we imagine. Um, Callum, can he stay fit? I blim well hope so for the lad because he's a hell of a hell of a striker and he'll score 20, 25 goals in that team uh, if he stays fit for at least 25, 30 games. But for Chris Wood, you know what? I thought he was unfairly treated for the most part. Yeah, all right. Strikers currency is goals. I get that. Sure. And would Chris is the first person who would turn around and say, I would have loved to have scored more. Of course he is. But it was his work off the ball as well and he fit into that system really really well he was unselfish he's also fitting really well in terms of personality within that dressing room and eddie is one of the first things he looks at when he tries to sign a player is the personality first do they fit into the team ethos do they fit into the group that i have into the team atmosphere and chris did that straight away he's a popular member of that dressing room so is he going to get you 30 goals season no probably not but you know, once he's kind of settled, and I know that sounds ridiculous because he's come from the Premier League to a Premier League club, but once he's settled into Newcastle United and the expectations upon him, I think he's a really, really good bench striker, cup striker that we've got going on there. Um, and, you know, he's still got a couple of years left left in him for, for sure, you know, probably more besides. 
Um, I think he'll do a decent job for Newcastle. Now, will he be starting week in, week out? Probably not, no. Unless Callum, uh, touch wood, he doesn't. But unless Callum picks up another injury or we don't get another striker in, yeah, Chris is obviously going to start there and he'll do a good job for Newcastle. But otherwise, I think he'll he'll be used as a kind of an impact signing and uh, impact signing, impact sub um, and, you know, used as a bit of a backup. But I do think he was a bit unfairly treated for his lack of goal return because you've got to look a little bit further past that and you've got to look at goal involvement. So I'm not one of these people who talks up, uh, have you ever heard of kind of goal assists of an assist? You know, who plays the kind of penultimate pass before the goal or who creates the space for the strike to be hit? I'm not one of those people because I think it's positively ridiculous. But there is no denying that he had a big involvement in plenty of goals last season. He just wasn't finishing them off. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's definitely got a place in that squad. I think Eddie really likes him. The players really like him. I think he's yeah he's got a place in that squad for definite for the next couple of yeah. seasons. And he's always, because of his defensive work, right, it's always going to be nice to have him there if we need to sort of see out a game. And, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're 1-0 up and we need to sort of get that extra defensive unit yeah. on and, and shore up some set pieces, then, yeah, yeah. gives us that chance. Chuck another giant onto the pitch for, yeah. for Ryan Fraser to deal with. But <laughs> he also, just while we're talking about Chris, did provide one of the best moments of last season uh, when they said, you know, when you uh, when you play, we win. I think uh, Dan, one of the Newcastle media staff, said to him, and he said, fuck me, touch wood. You know, brilliant interview that they did straight afterwards. Um, yeah, I, I was, I, I loved that. He's a, he's a good personality, is Chris. No, he seems like uh, a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, guys, I don't, I don't know if you guys have any game. more questions. There was uh, Chris Wood at the West Ham game. He kept on meowing in front of Kurt Zuma, apparently. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a rumour, I think. It, I don't think it happened. I hope he did. I really hope he did. I hope that's true. I hope it To did. be honest, that is, that is top draw banter for you. If, if that he oh. was doing, that was fantastic. Forget Joe Linton, forget Bruno, forget anything else. If that did <laughs> genuinely happen, that was the story of the 2021-2022 season. Absolutely. Forget the relegation miracle, uh, survival miracle or anything like that. If he did meow at Kurt Zuma, which sadly I don't think it happened, but if he did, yeah, story of the season, 100%. <laughs> oh, Any fantastic. more questions, Keegan? Oh, no, it's just, just one more before we let you go, Andy. You just yeah, touched on in the market for potentially a striker and a, a right winger. And yep. you probably, like most people, aren't across 100 million players across every league in Europe. That they, Your scouting yeah. network doesn't run as deep as what the clubs do. But how do you think it's going to go? Do you think they'll buy two, potentially buy one, loan one? Yeah. Or will it depend on the market and what they think they can get for what price and, and stuff like that? Just how do you think that might fall? in the well, next sort of five weeks? First of all, I'd say football manager is absolutely brilliant these days. So, yes. you know, we tend to be across quite a few players. <laughs> so thank you very much, Sega Games, for that. Yes. Um, but seriously speaking, uh, I think that they are in the market for another marquee signing. Uh, I think there's still money to spend. Whether that be a striker or a right winger, I think depends on the market and how it goes. I think they're not rushed at all. I think patience is the key word at the moment. And I see a lot of Newcastle fans getting a little bit impatient. Well, we still haven't got a striker. And we got beat against Mike the other day and we looked toothless up front, which we did for large parts of the game. We have to remember it's a pre-season friendly. We also have to remember that they are still actively in the market for at least two more players. One of them, from 
this is purely my understanding. I don't know whether this is 100% true, but certainly from what I've been told, one of them will be a kind of a big money signing. Um, they are in the market. The Ekatike deal obviously didn't happen, decided to go to PSG, um, but we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> what, what happened there was he would have been absolutely perfect for him because obviously he plays more than one position. He's young. He's definitely someone that they can develop to. Not huge amounts of money at 24, 25 million or whatever it would be. If they can get a player like that, I think that's where they want to go with a striker. A striker is so, so difficult because you immediately whack 15 million pounds of tax on top because they're a striker and because they'll get your goals. So they don't want to be absolutely taken advantage of in the market. I think that's what Newcastle have done really, really well so far. Yeah. They've always found value. They've walked away from deals if they thought they were going to get, you know, hamstrung by them. Diego Carlos at Sevilla was a prime example. Um, but I think that they'll be looking for, certainly right, Musa Diaby was another one, by the way. £60 million is no way in heck, or £55 million, there's no way in heck that Newcastle were going to pay that. Um, whether that might change? Yeah, could do. There, there could be a change. The market's always fluid. There's still five weeks left of it. I'm pretty sure they don't want to be hanging around on transfer deadline day looking for a striker and a winger. But from what I understand, they want two players. They'll be two offensive additions. They're open to a midfielder if the right deal comes up. I know there's lots of talk about Lucas Paqueta, uh, but that remains to be seen whether Newcastle will kind of go in for him. They, they like him a lot, but it's whether they have the money left over to go and buy a Paqueta sort of player when we're prioritising a striker and a right winger, as much as Paqueta can play on the right. So I think they're looking for youth as well. You know, Ekatike was young. This Benjamin Sheshko lad uh, from Salzburg, uh, he's only 19, you know, that fits the sort of profile that Newcastle are after. Um, it's just whether they can get the right deal out of the market. So they're relaxed, they're keeping patient, and they're across pretty much any development that's taking place in the transfer market right now. But I can see another two players minimum arriving at Newcastle by the end of the transfer window. And uh, yeah, I think they're after a, still a big, big sort of money signing, if not necessarily a, a big name like a, you know, a Vlahovic or someone like that, they'll be into, you know, someone quite young, but they can spend 20, 25 million on and develop them as well at St. James's. So, yeah, still a lot of exciting deals to be done, I think, in, in the transfer window, I would have said. No, still plenty of time, as you said. So let's let's all uh, let's all relax a bit and uh, and trust, trust, uh, <laughs> trust the system. <laughs> exactly. Trust the process. Best way to go. <laughs> Craig, uh, last question, if you've got one. Predictions for the season, Andy. Damn it, I thought we were going to get away with this. <laughs> um, <so, laughs> I genuinely thought I was going to get away with that without uh, having to jump down off the fence. I'm not a fence sitter, so I'll make a prediction, no problem. Um, I genuinely think we'll make the European places. Um, I think top eight. I don't think top six, and I certainly don't think top four. Um, I had a, an, a set two with my partners, um, dad <laughs> literally about five six weeks ago where he was turning around and saying what well, you know spurs are a bit you know rebuilding arsenal are rebuilding manchester united are rebuilding we could nip chelsea are obviously in a state of flux we could nip in behind liverpool and, and manchester city nothing would give me greater pleasure can i just point out right now the newcastle finishing third or fourth that would be wonderful fifth sixth would be magical as well can i see it realistically no i think I would be delighted with a top 10 finish for Newcastle. I'd be even more delighted if they can nab one of the European places. 
Leicester will not be as poor as they were last season. West Ham are building really, really carefully again. Mm. They've made some really good acquisitions of West Ham. Manchester United will can't be any worse than they were last season. Arsenal have made some really good signings. Tottenham are building under Conte. Chelsea, of course, are going out and splashing the cash because of Todd Burley coming in and taking them over. And Liverpool and Manchester City are, are nigh on untouchable. I don't know how many that Mamas is terrible. I don't know how many teams that are uh, that is. But you're you're looking at a real battle with Leicester and West Ham, I think, for top eight. Um, I think we'll finish eighth or ninth this season. And I think that would represent a really, really good season. But as one of my mates said the other week, I'm just looking forward to a season where we're not fighting relegation. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what I thought? Yeah. It's what we've it. said at the end of the season, looking forward to not looking over our shoulder and looking <sighs> up at the table. It's just yeah. going to be a breath of fresh air moving forward. Yeah. And I, um, I can't wait for it to happen. Long uh, bring on the Forest game and hopefully we thump them 5-0 and the season's off to an absolute blind day, you know? Just wait. a season of normality. Just a season yeah. of normality. We'll go down. With no talk about takeovers and hoaxes about takeovers, with no talk about managers joining or leaving and no protests, nothing like that. Can you imagine just a season of normality? at St. James And a decent cup run. I want a decent a cup, run. cup run. Yeah, nice <laughs> cup run. But here's one. I'll chuck it back to you, lads. Would you rather a really good cup run and finish ninth, or would you rather eighth, make it into the European spots, and go out in the third round to Cambridge? I think for the rebuild project, for me, it would be finishing in Europe because then you're going to have a much easier time of getting that next step step up next summer in terms yep. of the transfer market you're not going to have that oh well we've got to sell them a project it's like well you can see the project taking place now um yep. as a fan i just want a cup run <laughs> i miss i miss that magic of a cup run oh yeah i know a wembley a wembley semi or a, a final would be absolutely Oh, yeah. You can imagine what I mean. Newcastle literally would have to take a bank holiday that weekend. Yeah. Um, War so. flags at Wembley would be incredible. Oh, can you Indeed. imagine? Yeah, sorry. Actually, we've gone through the entire blooming podcast and I've talked about <laughs> the fans. Eddie talked for 45 minutes about Bruno and we haven't mentioned War flags. What a group. What an effort they've done. They have absolutely transformed St. James's Park. And there is no better stadium to be in when War Flags is there and with the flags and with the, all the displays than St. James's Park in the Premier League when that display is absolutely up and running. Nottingham Forest is set to look absolutely magnificent. And the work that they do, I was delighted that the club invited them into training and to meet the players and to Eddie Howe because the work they've done is absolutely nothing short of wonderful. They've yeah, been no, a, totally a joy agree. to have around and long may continue. So if War Flags do happen to tune into this podcast, cycle through to about two and a half hours in when I eventually stop speaking. <laughs> and uh, and there, you, you've been wonderful and long may it continue, obviously. Absolutely. If they're still that's, listening that's... to him, make sure you give Dimmy a flag when he's there for the, for the Forest <laughs> game as well. <laughs> exactly. Hand out flags and no one go nicking any flags because it's, yes. it's just... No, indeed. <laughs> right. Well, we've probably uh, gone on a, a little bit over time, I think, but uh, it's all good. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. It's been it's been really good just having a nice casual chat with everyone about uh, 
about the thing Bruno that we love Lodge. and, and yeah. uh, reminiscing about past seasons and what's to come. So uh, yeah, no, thank you, Andy, for joining us. It's been a, no it's been a pleasure. Um, sure, cheers for Craig and, and Keegan for coming on as well. So uh, from me, I guess it's uh, thank you for everyone who's been watching on YouTube and listening on, uh, on our audio podcasts. Uh, please like, subscribe, um, tell your mates, and uh, we'll uh, be back again for the next one. Cheers, everyone. No worries. Thanks, Andy. Cheers, guys.